Exceeding Expectations, Episode 78. Have you ever worked with a coach? Which do you think is the better approach to work with that coach year after year or, or for that coach to be so good that they empower you to leave them after just a few months because they really help with your being able to be more resistant to change or less resistant to change? Today's episode of Exceeding Expectations, I am with Teresa Cifali, who's based down in New York. How are you, Teresa? I'm awesome. How are you today? I'm very good. Uh, and I believe from the conversation we were having just now, I, I get the impression you're an experienced podcaster. Um, you know, I am so excited about launching my podcast this year, but I've been on other people's podcasts. I love reaching more people and the more people I reach, the better I feel. Because then I, I'm, I feel like I'm helping. <laughs> so, so well, tell me about your podcast. And so, what will that be? Um, well, my podcast, I'm planning on launching it um, quarter three, and mm-hmm. it's called um, Daily the Daily Achiever Show. Okay. And so, what is the what would be the format? What's the aim? Well, I think it's going to be like a hybrid of sometimes just me, sometimes an interview, mm-hmm. and um, the premise around the Daily Achiever Show is what you can do each and every day in your business to make progress because oftentimes we discount the little things that we can do because we're looking for that big leap. Mm -hmm. And um, I just love the idea of in my head, you know, slow progress beats no progress Mm -hmm. anytime. Well, and so let's, let's go back a bit. So what, what is it that you do and how did that first come about? Oh my gosh. Well, I have quite the entrepreneurial journey. My entrepreneurial journey started in high school when I was just a wee 17 years old. Um, And throughout the years, I've done many different things. Um, I was a professional singer for 25 years. Um, Mm -hmm. It was awesome. I did it in high school and college and then throughout until I was in my mid to early mid 40s. And um, I said I would do it until it wasn't fun anymore. But through during that time, um, even though I was still singing, you know, I started as an elementary school teacher. And then my children came around. And when my oldest was born, I really was so excited to be a stay-at-home mom. And I slowly found myself going insane <laughs> because um, I'm like, well, maybe I just need a hobby. So mm-hmm. I started 
just doing more crafting. I loved to craft music and crafting, anything music, art. I, I definitely use my my right brain. Uh, <laughs> so right. Um, I learned um, a lot about crafting at that time. I started teaching, which was great because I was using kind of my teaching chops. Everything I do is around educating. And um, so I had a 20-plus year career in the craft and hobby industry as a professional craft designer. When mm-hmm. I started there, there was no internet. And, um, but during, but the internet was starting to make its appearance and I had to pivot a lot in that career. So by time I was towards the end of working within the craft and hobby industry and I, I didn't, um, work for consumers. So I worked business to business. So I would work directly with manufacturers like Velcro or Elmer's and I wore many hats um, when the internet started to make its appearance, I had a pivot. Oh gosh, a lot. So um, it was fascinating. All the things that I was learning, but at the same time, I was driving myself insane. Um, I also started a digital craft magazine, and by the end of that career, I was so burnt out and exhausting myself. And that's what led me to do what I do now, which is um, I'm a a productivity strategist and business coach. I started doing that in 2016. I was already coaching and advising and working with manufacturers, working with colleagues, and I really loved doing it and said, let me do that full time. And the my niche has pivoted here and there. So I started with craft and hobby folk, and now I work primarily with service-based small business owners. And, and when you say you work with them, and so in what is it as, as a coach? I do. So I have a, I, I do one-to-one coaching primarily right now. I started my business very methodically. Um, instead of doing it the way everybody else expected me to build um, and having built businesses in the past online, um, it was you know, I didn't start with the website and the business cards and all that. I started actually the opposite with one-to-one coaching, working with people, trying to figure out what they needed and how I could help. And if I liked doing one-to-one coaching, um, if there was a need. And so I did that. I've been doing that one-to-one coaching now for, gosh, it's 2020. So I'm, I'm in my fourth year. And this year I launched, um, and I launched the Daily Achievers Academy, which is, um, a group membership program. Mm-hmm. And I'm launching my first course it, at the beginning of quarter two, and it's called Plan to Achieve. Cool. And, and what will, how will that help people? Well, I find people are in, in two camps when it comes to service based business owners. So my clients have clients and oftentimes they're not working on their business at all. They're basically Mm -hmm. functioning like employees and they also have desires and dreams as to what they like to see their businesses become, Mm -hmm. but they make very little progress because they spend all their time, you know, putting out fires or just flitting from project to project with no real end goal in mind, 
So what I do is I, I help people articulate what they want their life to look like, not just yeah. business, but, you know, what are they doing personally and with family and community? You know, how many vacations are they taking? How many hours do they really want to be working? How much mm-hmm. money do they want to be wait- making? Getting that, that information out of their head, which where most of us keep it, out of their mm-hmm. head and into some kind of format that then becomes visible and tangible mm-hmm. that you can look at and break it down into, okay, if this is where I want to be in five years, what's the first step for this year? And then breaking that down and continuing to break it down into small daily actions so that when they go to sit and work on whatever it is that's on their to-do list for the day, they know why they're doing it, how it fits into the big picture, and why it's important. Hmm. And when you say so you've got the name uh, Daily Achiever, so how did that come about? Where was there was like a sudden moment of inspiration where that name came or how did that come about? It was It was a client. So believe it or not, that we were just talking about, we were just having like a general conversation and, um, and it, it's a little embarrassing because <clears throat> I don't like to like toot my own horn so much, you know? Um, yeah. but, but she was just articulating how I helped her and what the growth that she saw in herself and the confidence. And she said, you know, you're not, I've gotten, I've gotten so much more accomplished in the last four months than I've gotten in the last two years. And she said, you're really not um, a productivity strategist. You're really more of an achievement coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I really liked that because, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're, we're all, you know, we do anything that we're doing, whether it's, you know, whether it's a health goal or it's, um, it's a business goal or another type of personal goal, a financial goal, you know, we're looking to achieve something. We don't start stuff to end up back in the same, stay in the same place as when we began. So, you know, it's like if people feel that they're not making progress, then how can I help them achieve? And then from there, it was really just, you know, one of my favorite things to do is just play around online with um, the, thesaurus and, you know, other programs that'll help you come up with, um, with names. And, um, Mm -hmm. I just, I just was playing around and the other way to do that is just start writing Mm -hmm. by time you get 30 or 40 ideas in, that's when the good stuff starts to come. And, you know, this Mm -hmm. just popped up. I really liked it, put it aside for a little while. And the more I sat with it, the more I liked it. And it just fit in, I think, as a brand mm. to what it was that I was doing and, you know, what are the other things that I can say within Daily Achievers. And so as a, in your coaching practice, and I mean, you know, so we, in, in the brief discussion we had before we started recording and you mentioned about how you like the whole kind of ethos behind sort of exceeding expectations. So. I, I get the impression that that's something you do in your coaching practice. How is it you're able to exceed expectations of coaching clients? Well, it's it's funny because, you know, I, I really do love the entire concept because, you know, I think when people hear exceeding expectations, the, the first place I think the brain goes is about 
giving more or over delivering. And I don't go there. Um, I go to a, to a different place. My job, I feel as a coach, is to empower my clients to leave me, not mm-hmm. to make them dependent on me. Yeah. So when I'm working with people, I want to teach them how to help themselves. And when that starts to happen, usually it's like it's about two months in of a process where the resistance to change starts to um, switch. This I don't know. There's a flip. There's a switch that flips for my clients when they see a small amount of progress at first with a lot of encouragement, you know, and and sometimes tough love. Um, and when they see that there's there's some forward momentum. It something changes for them and they start helping themselves. And I think that's what exceeds people's expectations. Mm. I think that when they come to me, they're at the point where they're like, I can't do this by myself. I need somebody else to help me. Yeah. But then their expectations change because it's no longer reliant on me. Mm. I become less of, um, the teacher. Um, and you still stay in that mentor, but like I become more of a strategic partner, somebody Mm -hmm. to roll their own ideas off of instead of looking to me for answers, they're helping themselves. And then Mm -hmm. that's what really makes that change for them. So, so from the sounds of things, then typically the life um, time, you know, I mean, the, the duration you'll be working with a typical client will be much shorter than with many other coaches. Yes. I mean, you know, my, my coaching program is six months. My one-to-one program is six months long. Some mm. of my clients will um, renew for another six months, mm-hmm. but I try not to keep them more than a year. Mm. You know, by that point, um, you know, are they like, you can see that you're always going to get people that, that people will automatically procrastinate, procrastinate around certain things, right? Mm-hmm. Especially things that they don't like to do or they find hard or scary. And, um, you know, their, their ability to recognize it, I think mm-hmm. it comes with the awareness of, mm-hmm. okay, I know exactly what's happening. You know, teaching my clients how to self-assess, you know, Mm -hmm. how did I do today? How did I do this week? How did I do this quarter? What went right? Celebrate it. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? What changes do I need to make? Mm -hmm. Is it an outsource? Is it a hire? Is it something that they can just dump doing altogether and find a Mm -hmm. different path? So, yeah, I think... um, I don't know how long people stay with other coaches, but generally six months, but no more than a year. Uh, and something, you, again, you, you touched upon before, when we were, started, we were talking before, you were talking about, um, oh, I think it was helping clients reach goals and, and so on. Yep. Um, that's where like my plan to achieve. I just, um, I've been working with a, a group of founders on helping me craft this course. Um, mm. I like information. Information is good. Instead of me blowing people's minds, teaching them something 
that will overwhelm them <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of helping. I'm yeah. working with a small group that I can say, okay, you know, what's working, what isn't working, and being able to grow that, grow that course, my, mm-hmm. even in, even in the, my plan to achieve course, which is all about goal setting and achievement. Um, the, the framework around it is think, plan, do. Don't feel mm-hmm. that people spend enough time thinking about what they want. They're very much in the do and they don't spend enough time in plan or they spend all their time in plan and they're not doing. It's one of those two usually. But um, so the idea is, you know, not just breaking down smaller, but making sure you're making progress and that you're making progress towards a place you want to go to and um, getting feedback from people as I'm trying to teach them a repeatable process so that every quarter they know exactly where they should start. Mm. We, we start at the beginning, yearly goals, and then we focus down in what the actions we need to take in the quarter, and that's when we then break it down weekly, daily. And at the couple of weeks before the quarter ends, they now know the process and where to go back in and say, okay, here's what I wanted to do for the next quarter, and then go back and start working their plan. So when so you, you know in this the course that you're creating now, is it a case of when you work with someone one to one, you're able to to help them in I don't know maybe one certain way? Do you see that with a course you're able to help people in a different way, or is it to get a wider spread of of clients? Or what is the the difference between your say coaching and your course? Um, well, coaching gets people one-on-one with me. And, and for me, it's about, it's about reach. So I am a service-based business owner because I'm a coach. So that automatically puts me at a deficit as to how many people I can help Yeah, because there's only one of me and there's only so many hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And it was never my intention to only do one-to-one coaching. Mm-hmm. And so when I move to a course or a small group that allows me to be one to few or one to many mm. and then help people, help more people than I could if I was only working with clients one-on-one. Mm. Um, you know, there are obviously differences like my one-to-one clients get me one-on-one. So my conversations with them are different than I could have with a group. Mm. Um, and the way people taking the course can ask questions is, you know, during the duration of this course, there's, there will be group coaching calls, but still, Mm -hmm. you know, depending how many people sign up, you know, right now my small founders group, it's like not everybody can come to every coaching call and not everybody can ask a question that call. So Mm -hmm. having one-to-one is always great because, then I can really dig into like sometimes when my clients are asking questions, they're not necessarily the right questions. So we can dive deeper to pull out what they really need. You were talking about um, your, an experience you had in the second grade that Mm -hmm. kind of shaped some of your thoughts. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I want to say, I want to start with this. I've been blessed in my life in that I've been surrounded 
by people who've demonstrated what it means to exceed expectations, right? Mm. So, and I, I thank you for that actually, because it wasn't really until I was thinking about this podcast and what the name meant mm. and, you know, what your mission is that I was thinking about what kind of stories I had from my past mm. that demonstrate exceeding expectations. And I immediately did not go to my personal experiences exceeding others' expectations, but how other people have exceeded mine. Mm. So, um, so it's in always in hindsight that you can recognize those things when you look at them. So, um, I had a horrible second grade year, the whole year. Um, I had a, a really bully of a teacher. Mm. Um, she, she, the woman terrorized me. In what, what, age, what age is second grade in the US? Um, in here, I was like seven. Right. So okay. I was a little girl and, yeah. um, she just decided that year that I was going to be the one to pick on. It, and, mm. it, and it wasn't until very late in the year, like almost towards the end of the school year, that my mom caught on what was going on. But, you know, there were signs, like when you look back. So I mm. have like really distinct memories of um, coming in to school for the day and walking up the steps and and I can still see it. It's how much of an impact it had as if I'm watching it, um, like from above. Right. And yeah. I can see myself walking up the stairs with like my lunchbox and my book bag. And the teacher was moving my desk into the hallway. She decided for whatever reason that I was a behavior problem. And her solution was to just terrorize me all year long. And mm-hmm. I was afraid to tell anybody because I grew up that, you know, a, adults, you respected adults. And if this woman thought I was bad, then I must've been really bad. So, um, and by the end of second grade, I was reading on a first grade level. Um, I have no idea recollection of what my math skills were, but I was behind in everything. And, Mm -hmm. um, my mom by that point had become a, a really big advocate and, you know, which you'd expect. And she made sure that I was going to be in a classroom for third grade with somebody who was kind. And I, my third grade teacher, um, was Mr. Volpe, James Volpe. And he was a new teacher, just a very kind person. And he spent the summer, um, helping and tutoring me and catching me up so that when I started third grade, I was where I was supposed to be. And you wouldn't expect a teacher who's going to have so many other students, right, to take time out of their day to come and give the time and of themselves and just be gentle and loving and then help shape a great year for you just Mm -hmm. by demonstrating what a teacher should be. Yeah. And it's like even those things that have happened multiple times throughout my life always help me want to pay it forward. How can I make somebody else feel that way? Mm. And so when, when do you think that, when did you realize at the time that that teacher was going way beyond where they should have been or was that just some, a later reflection? Yeah. No, I definitely didn't realize it. You know, I was, you know, seven by that point, eight maybe. Mm. And no, no clue. 
And um, it it wasn't really until years later, um, you know, he was an inspiration. I was a teacher. I taught for for a few years before my oldest daughter was born. Mm. He was an inspiration to become a teacher. And believe it or not, so was my second grade teacher. Um, Very much so. Just because it's like, how do I become a teacher like him so that Mm. there are no room for teachers like her? Yeah, yeah. Mm. and 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 it's something else you were talking about is um a, a, fr- a phrase you went through where you were a bit of a workaholic. Oh my gosh, yes. So you have to keep in mind, I loved being in craft and hobby and working for myself, and I really was driven to be successful. And it was never about the money; it was about having something, my autonomy, something more than just a wife, more than just a mother, something that was mine. Mm. And, um, and so I was just driven to, to succeed. And Mm. I was really, I think pretty successful as, as a craft designer in the craft and hobby industry. And then in 2011, my colleagues, a couple of my colleagues reached out and said, you know, we want to start a, a digital craft magazine. I think if we weren't the first, we were one of the first digital mm-hmm. craft magazines. And, um, you know, we're going to use this magazine. We'll give it away for free as our opt-in. And then here's how we plan to monetize it. By that point, I'd embraced my inner geek. So I was a good fit for this group because I was doing things like social media marketing and I was also doing web design and other things, uh, using some other skills that I'd picked up along the way in, in my career. And, um, and it was a lot of fun, but I was running two businesses and I was singing, right? So, so throughout all of that, I was singing on mm-hmm. the weekends and stuff. So I had my craft business, my professional design business, and then we started this craft magazine that we thought was going to start, we'd start it slow and it, the thing just took off. And within two years, it had morphed into a publishing company. So, you know, we were producing eBooks, um, craft eBooks, um, eBooks for manufacturers on product books. We were manufacturing for other designers who had concepts and, you know, there weren't a lot of opportunities, a lot harder to get published. So, you know, and understanding how to self-publish back then was tough. So we filled a need in that area. And, I was absolutely insane. I was working 16 to 18 hour days. I was, wasn't sleeping. I had really horrible insomnia because I was constantly afraid that I was going to forget to do something or I, I never felt caught up. Mm. I always felt really behind the eight ball. And, Mm. um, and it was, it was a hard time for the people around me. You know, it was hard for me, but I didn't realize it then because I was so entrenched in the, the, the chaos I was causing mm. um, in my own life. You know, not stopping to eat. Um, some days not stopping to shower. And, you know, my husband coming and wanting to ask me a question and I'd snap because, you know, he was bothering me, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm trying to work. What are you doing? Um, not communicating what my needs were or how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, it was, it was tough for my girls too. You know, my, my girls gave me a lot of grace. Luckily I realized before, I think it was really too late to start fixing things. Um, And how did that realization come about? What's that? How did that realization come about? Okay. Well, I'll tell you, um, my, my husband and my daughters were, my husband's a teacher and they were going to be off. It was going to be a four day weekend. There was a holiday here and they wanted to go visit friends out of state. And, um, the kids were really excited about it. And my husband's like, you know, well, yeah, let's go. And I'm like, Oh no, I can't go. Are you kidding? I got I all this work to do. You guys mm-hmm. should go. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is because my husband, um, is a very patient, loving man, mm-hmm. you know, never would never get mad, always like exceeding expectations in that, in that, aspect. He had every right to get mad and frustrated. And I'm sure he felt that way, but he always just let me work it out for myself. Right. And was just supportive. And one of those ways he was supportive was just by not giving me a hard time about wanting to send them off on their own. And, Mm -hmm. and that's what I did. I sent them off. It was, um, it was a September uh, and, uh, I was excited to see them go. I was, I had a list uh, about five stories high of all the things I was going to get accomplished. I was even going to get ahead. I had this huge plan. Every hour, every second was accounted for on the things that I was going to get caught up on and the things I was going to get ahead on. And then, you know, when they got back, I'd have like a fresh, you know, fresh, clean plate to start with and um, sent them on their merry way and came back in the house, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday, came and stood in my very quiet living room, and I just stood there. Mm-hmm. And it was silent, and I just started to cry. <laughs> I just, and, um, and maybe that would be expected, you know, overtired, mm-hmm. overworked, frustrated, emotional woman, but... Mm-hmm what I realized in that minute was that wasn't what I wanted. Mm. And so it's like, this isn't why I started my business. I didn't start my business to work a lot more for a lot less, yeah. a lot less time with my, with my family, um, no time with myself. And, you know, the harder I worked, the less money I was making, which I was just starting to really become aware of. And at that moment, that was a, that was a pivotal moment for me from that, that moment right there made me say, there's got to be a better way. This Mm -hmm. isn't what I want. What do I want? And then how do I go about getting that? Yeah. So what, what changes did you make and how, how quickly was it noticed by your family? Um, well, the most important thing was communicating, Mm. right? So even apologize, like I had to do a lot of apologizing Mm. and, um, and not, you know, that grovelly, I'm so sorry. You know, it's just like, here's what's been happening for me and Mm. I don't like it. And you deserve better than that. And let's talk about it. And I'm, I'm sorry, this isn't really what I, what I intended and I'm going to make it right. Mm. And here's how you can support me. So asking for help, was, was a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, getting over myself to realize that asking for help isn't weakness. 
Um, it's strength. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, it was in the beginning when I started that, that journey, it was, you know, one step forward, 10 steps back. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, okay, well, let's start with work. You know, work's easy. I like work. Work's fun. And if you asked me what I like to do for fun, I would have told you work. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can just fix the things with work, then everything else will be okay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm like, how do I squeeze this 10 hours of work into two? If I could just be more productive. And what I came to realize really fast was that that's not possible. And it really wasn't about doing more things faster. It was about just doing less. And then trial and error, um, there wasn't a lot in the way of like, I didn't know who else to ask. Most of the people I'd made um, that were colleagues or that I'd grown friendships with were also in that like workaholic mentality. And they, some of them were going to come with me and some of them weren't, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, okay constantly pivoting and then stopping and taking a look back and saying, okay, this isn't working. Where, where can I, where should I really start? And the first mm-hmm. thing I decided to fix in earnest was my sleep. Right. And so it's about finding the one thing. It's not about waking up and saying, okay, tomorrow I'll be different. It's about starting smaller. What's the one thing that I can do or change that will then affect everything else. And was there, had you, um, had someone sort of educated you on the importance of sleep? What was it that made you sense or focus on sleep that would be the biggest change? Well, it, it wasn't, I, I don't recall anybody like talking to me about it. A lot of people didn't even know that I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, obviously people in the house um, my, my kids noticed I wasn't sleeping. My husband noticed, of course, I was up all the time. But um, yeah. I, I, for me, it was, I'm just exhausted all the time. So it's mm. no wonder that I can't focus. It's no wonder that, you know, I, I need to take a nap in the middle of the day sometimes. And then it's still only a 15-minute nap. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like it's still not a good amount of sleep. Yeah. Um, and or the quality of my work is suffering. So what if I were to get, instead of two hours of sleep, what if I were able to get five hours of sleep? And then mm-hmm. what conditions do I need to set around that? What are the boundaries that I need to set for myself? And what are the conditions I need to create in order to facilitate sleep? And mm-hmm. I was not going to be a take a sleeping pill person because like the idea of getting addicted to anything freaks me out. I don't even like to take an aspirin or an Advil if I don't have to. So, um, so I wasn't going to medicate and so I had to then start changing the circumstances around Mm -hmm. that. Um, and it was very slow, steady progress. And then reflecting and assessing and looking at what are you doing, what's working, what's not working. And a lot of that came with setting up some habits, like at mm-hmm. night, new, yeah. just nighttime habits. Um, things like, you know, just f- things that I'd read online myself, you know, about mm-hmm. how devices, the computer screens can affect your sleep. So 
it was starting small. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to be off the computer an hour before I want to go to sleep. And then, you know, even before that, what time do I want to be in bed? And then, you know, starting and working backwards from there. If I want to be in bed by midnight, I cannot be looking at a device by 11. Mm. And then, you know, okay, what am I going to do in that hour to keep me off the device? Mm. So, and then finding those kinds of things. For me, it was reading an actual book. Like it couldn't even be on a Kindle or anything along those lines or on my iPad. It had to be an actual physical book. Mm. And what I found was that I was getting tired earlier. So eventually that 12 o'clock went to, okay, well, I'm going to lay down at at 11 and read. Mm -hmm. And then by 1130, I might've been asleep and then constantly tweaking it. And then I, okay, what I want to get to bed by 11 and, and then removing things that were, I have certain rules around sleep. Even now I get about like a good solid seven hours a night and that changes my, my outlook on the next day. It, you know, keeps me in a good mood. It definitely increases my productivity because I'm not tired. Um, and, you know, other things too, like getting all the things out of my head that I knew were going to wake me up. So, you know, before I went to sleep, before I got in the bed and with the book, what can I just bullet out and in a journal and get it all out of my head? so that it's not still swimming around in there to keep me up. So like those kinds of things were really super helpful. And, and I guess the, the lessons you learned in that whole experience have helped enormously in the coaching you've been doing and of course you're creating and so on. It does. Um, you know, people come to me primarily because they need help with their business, hmm. but you're more than your business. So yeah everything touches everything else. So it's like your, your, all the things happening with your health and your, your personal and your financial and, you know, things that you're doing with community and family, all of those things affect everything else. There isn't one thing in isolation. So Mm -hmm. you have to look at all those things. So like when people, oftentimes my clients are struggling in their business because they feel unfulfilled personally. So I have one client who um, was a triathlete and had gotten so busy in his business that he wasn't even biking anymore like he used to. So being able to help him identify that and then bring that back in to his life helps in all other areas. People spend too much time focused on time. Right. Well, I don't have time to do that. But when you make time to do the things that you enjoy, everything else also helps everything else get easier. Yeah. Well, well, um, I mean, we're time and time is flying. What what are your general thoughts on the phrase exceeding expectations? I think that exceeding expectations has many different meetings. Um, you know, there's your traditional, you know, that, that, um, well, you should, you know, under promise and over deliver. Um, but I think it's in the small things that are around you every day that we take for granted. 
Yeah. So things that aren't necessarily a, a surprise or a, a wow, mm-hmm. um, they're, they seem like small little insignificant things. Like somebody just picking up the phone to call me, um, especially in this digital day and age where it's easier to email or text. When somebody mm-hmm. picks up the phone and calls me just because they were thinking of me, um, that has a lot of value and meaning for me. That mm-hmm. exceeds expectations. Um, I think looking for the things that are good out there and holding on to those yeah. instead of looking for things to go wrong, looking for things to go right. Yeah. And when you do that, it flips your mindset. Mm-hmm. And when you flip your mindset in that, in that manner to where, you know, looking for those positive, good things, the small little tiny things, mm-hmm. when you, when you have that and, and it flips your mindset, everything else changes. It's like dominoes toppling over. Mm-hmm. And it's also easier when those like trials and tribulations come up to remind yourself that there's a lot more good than there is bad. Absolutely. So if if people want to find out more about you, Teresa, where would be the best places for them to look? Well, you can catch me on my website at teresasafali.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, all at Teresa Safali, Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much... Everywhere online, but the best place to get the most amount of value is on my blog. So if you go to teresasafali.com and click on blog, there's lots of articles there. Um, I primarily stick with productivity, time management, organization, goal setting, achievement, and, um, and outsourcing. So if you're looking for help in those areas, I'm your girl. And you said your course will be, was it quarter two? Uh, excuse me, quarter two, plan to achieve. Yes. Okay. And that will be obviously for anyone in anywhere in the world will be able to access that. That's right. And your podcast is quarter three, I think you said. Quarter three. That will be the Daily Achievers podcast. Fantastic. Well, before we finish, Teresa, is there, do you have a quotation you particularly like? Um there's just so many but my my favorite quote of all times is a dr seuss quote and it's be who you are say how you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind and what is it that resonates with you about that i think it's just be yourself you know you do you don't worry about what other people think don't compare yourself just be yourself and be authentic And the right people, the people who are supposed to be around you and in your life, will find their way there. Well, Teresa, um, I really appreciate your sparing the time that you've you've given to to share your stories and experiences with our listeners. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun today. Next week is episode 78 with Molly McLaughlin, and she is the creator of a company called Sleep is a Skill. And we're going to find out a lot more about exceeding your own expectations and how sleep can really benefit you in so many different ways in your cognitive abilities, in your performance, in even things like losing weight. That can be affected by your sleep. 
So that's in next week's episode with Molly McLaughlin. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Teresa. Please do share it with someone who you feel may get some real value from some of the some of the things that the, the tip that Teresa gives. Please do subscribe to the show and and leave a review. I'm not asking for it to be five star. Be, be be honest on what you think about the show. But the more reviews we get, it really helps for more people to find out about the show. Hope you have a great week. Oh, 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 o